the world's global leaders met at a climate summit this month in Egypt. What did they talk about? The radical transformation of society. But don't worry, Klaus Schwab says it's for your own good. I'm going to be talking to Mark Moreno today. He is the author of a book called The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. He has written several other books about this subject. We're going to talk about climate change today and also this climate change conference and what the global leaders are cooking up. Now, if you are like me, this conversation kind of makes you feel demoralized, scared, hopeless. Well, he's going to have some words of encouragement for us at the end, but I also wanted to start off with this reminder. I love this passage from Psalm 2, also Psalm 37. One of my favorite passages, as you know, is a great compliment to this, but let me read you this and just keep this in mind as we talk to Mark today. This is Psalm 2 verses 1 through 4. We'll see. It might be longer than that. Uh, Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and will terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion my holy hill. So we remember through all of this that God is in charge, that he is bigger than the American government, than world governments, than China, than the World Economic Forum, and that nothing is too difficult for him and that nothing can thwart his will, as Job 42.2 says. So we always have hope. I mean, we have hope in this life, but more importantly, we have hope eternally too. Now, before we get into that conversation, just a couple things I want to say. We have Christmas merch for you guys, and we have this amazing shirt. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the design. Super excited about it. I had a rough idea of what I wanted it to look like, but your girl is not an artist. And so we had our amazing designers at Blaze TV come up with it. It's a long or it's a crew neck sweatshirt. And it's got this design on the back. And if you're listening to this, it's Mary. It's like a drawing of Mary, a really pretty, like flowy drawing of Mary, Jesus in her belly. And then it says a thrill of hope. And it's just obviously a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ, but also that he came in the form of a baby, an unborn baby first. Um, And so I know that you guys are going to love it. We'll sell it in all the fun Christmas colors and we'll have a Black Friday deal too that we'll announce later in the week. Um, And so, yes, I'm so excited for that. So we will link it in the description of this episode now. And this episode is also brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Mr. Morano, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everyone who might not know who you are and what you do? I'm Mark Morano, the publisher of Climate Depot, daily information source for environment, climate, energy news, uh, formerly the United States Senate Environment Public Works Committee, and the author of several books, including Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Worse Than You Think, and also The Great Reset, uh, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. How did this become your expertise? Good question. I grew up uh, what I would always say as a Republican 
except when it came to environmental issues. I was a volunteer on Ronald Reagan's 1980 campaign. So I was always concerned about environmental issues. As such, uh, I got caught up in the Save the Rainforest campaigns in the 90s. And then by the time I realized that uh, we'd been essentially exaggerated all these climate things, I ended up doing a documentary on the Amazon rainforest back in, uh, filmed it in the late 90s, it aired in 2000. And that really opened my eyes to all the exaggeration and, and uh, falsehoods that were being perpetrated from somewhat, sometimes legitimate environmental concerns and how they would exploit it. So when climate came along, I was already pretty much skeptical. And I worked in the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. And then when this COVID came along and did the Great Reset, uh, COVID lockdowns, which then led to the World Economic Forum pronouncing time for a Great Reset, I had learned everything about COVID lockdowns and censorship from my two decades fighting the climate battle. It's like that book from the 1980s. Everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Well, everything I needed to know about COVID lockdowns, the Great Reset, I had learned during the climate debate. It was the same exact template. Uh, so I, I approached this whole issue, all these issues, as an investigative reporter. I have a background in communications and reporting. I was a White House, Capitol Hill, press credentialed, uh, and I worked uh, as a working journalist and investigative journalist, did documentaries uh, on a host of environmental issues from wetlands, endangered species, and agriculture, and, 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 and that. So that's my background. Yeah. I'm not a scientist, but I like to say I, I sometimes play one on TV, and that really riles up some of the other side. There are a lot of issues that have probably been exaggerated or that we've been given misinformation about, and yet this climate issue is one that has persisted for decades. And it's really amazing how wrong the scientists and the so-called climate experts have been in a lot of their predictions, and yet they are still given credibility. We are still told that we have to believe them unconditionally. And not only that, but it's got a hold of at least one whole political party in the United States and also global leaders. I mean, you talked about the World Economic Forum. This is like their issue. How did that happen? I mean, there are a lot of issues that I guess we could have taken hold of and said, this is our issue and we really have to fight for this, whatever it is. How did this become the interest of so many people in power? Well, and uh, in my previous book, book, Green Fraud, I go through the origins of essentially the Green New Deal. And what we find out if you go back to the 1960s, before there was climate change, there was the overpopulation myth by Paul Ehrlich, the overpopulation bomb. Yeah. The population bomb is what it was called, worried about overpopulation. And he made all of the same kind of climate catastrophe things, but this time using overpopulation. He said we would be running out of food, resource scarcity, there'd be famines, there'd be mass deaths, that the world needed to have radical transformation. And by the way, central planning. And then in the 1970s, you had a man-made global cooling scare. And this was legit. I mean, you had all these scientists write a letter to President Nixon at the time, warning of man-made global cooling. So before fossil fuels caused global warming, fossil fuels allegedly caused man-made global cooling. They thought our aerosols from the burning of fossil fuels were blocking out the sun, which I wish I could do on the, on the right side of my head there. And they thought that was causing this essentially global dimming, which was cooling the earth. And they were blaming bad weather, wars, famines, all sorts of things on man-made global cooling. And here's the interesting thing. I spent a whole chapter in my book showing that the solutions to all of these previous environmental scares, overpopulation, 
global cooling, uh, even the species extinction and uh, deforestation. The solution was always the same, more government control, more sovereignty limiting treaties, an end of private property rights, an end of free markets, massive wealth redistribution. So the reason global warming has persisted, and it really didn't kick in until 1989 when NASA scientist James Hansen testified in the Hill in 1988, and then also the United Nations formed their climate panel. That's when it all, they basically said, we're gonna get all the environmental issues, like a big, think of it like a big poker game. They're gonna put all our chips in on climate. And that's what they've done. So every other issue has been subservient to climate since then. And guess what the solutions to climate were? The exact same solutions to every previous environmental scare. And that's what we face right now. And if you go back and look at the Rio Earth Summit from 1992, which then President George H.W. Bush attended, they literally sound the United Nations Sustainable Development. It reads like a carbon copy of the Green New Deal. And I detail, here's excerpts from the United Nations Sustainable Development in the early 90s. Here's AOC's Green New Deal. So all that is is a retread of the past several decades of the same climate solutions for previous environmental scares. Another company I love is Cozy Earth. Also a great gift. All of my sponsors, almost all of my sponsors make products that would just be awesome and very thoughtful gifts for Christmas. And this is true if you are looking to gift someone with the gift of a great night's sleep. And that's what you get from Cozy Earth Sheets. They are so soft, so comfortable, so breathable, so temperature uh, regulating. It's because they're made from bamboo viscals. It's really incredible. Also, their loungewear wear is so soft. They just sent me this pajama top that I absolutely love, wear it all of the time. They're just a great company and they make really high quality things. Love them so much. Save 40% now on Cozy Earth bedding, loungewear, pajamas, and towels. Hurry, holiday offer in soon. Go to CozyEarth.com slash Allie. Be sure to enter my promo code Allie at checkout. Save 40% percent that's cody or cozy earth.com slash a-l-l-i-e cozy earth.com slash alley so basically what you're saying is that the reason that this gained so much traction especially among what you would call elites or you know global leaders is because it is such an effective vehicle for power yes. and for the radical transformation of economies of political systems of society Basically, if you can tell people that there is an existential threat and you and your family are going to die and the world as you know it is going to come to an end unless yeah. we do something, unless we take control, then I guess they think that that is a good enough premise, a good enough reason to take control and to kind of enact that radical transformation. Is there any legitimacy, though, like you were talking about in the 1960s and 70s? about these people who thought that there was a great global cooling and a change to global warming. Like, is there any legitimacy in this climate science, uh, in this climate science, or is it all activism? Yeah. In fact, I was just hit by the BBC came out with, you believe in climate change is caused by man. Well, here's the way you break it down. It's not a simple question in that regard, but mankind is not driving any climate, climate catastrophe or climate emergency. Can mankind influence the climate? Yes. Our CO2 emissions can cause some level of warming, but at this point, and many of the climate scientists say you can't even detect natural, what the climate would be naturally versus what it would be with mankind's influence. In other words, there are quite literally hundreds of factors that influence the climate. It's the most complex system known to man, and, the, and everything from uh, 
tilt of the Earth's axis to water vapor, to clouds, to methane, to volcanoes, to the sun, and all these feedbacks come up with the global temperature. So the idea that they can pick one politically selected factor on the margin, carbon dioxide, and then say, if we control that, we can control storms and weathers and hurricanes. And here's the kicker, Ali, on every time scale, and this is acknowledged in national climate assessments and even UN reports buried deep, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires are not either not increasing or on declining t- uh, trends on 50 to 100 year time scales. Now, what they do to make everything sound scary and still be correct scientifically, they'll pick an area, say, Southwest California, and they'll pick, say, a 15-year period, and they'll say, the drought in this one particular area is unprecedented, and our climate models show if we don't do something, it could be, you know, the entire country will be in drought by the year 2100. And they're technically right that that one area might be in an unprecedented drought, but unprecedented and record weather events and historical events happen every day, everywhere on the planet, have always happened. It's kind of yeah. like when you go into a casino and you see all the signs of the people winning the, 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 you know, the slot machines. You get the impression that everyone wins it's playing the slots. Well, if you watch the news or listen to Al Gore or the UN, they claim that every day is unprecedented weather and records being broken. But on actual climate time scale, it's not happening. And that includes sea level rise, uh, which has been rising 10,000 plus years since the end of the last ice age. No acceleration. That includes polar bears. They are disappearing but they're only disappearing from Al Gore's books and movies. He dropped them in his sequel uh, 10 years after his first film. Why? Because they never counted so many polar bears. And it's generally known, even the indigenous people acknowledge, everyone acknowledges up in the Arctic, that polar bears are at or near historic population highs. And that's why you don't hear anyone talk about polar bears anymore. I also saw something because we hear about things like the Great Barrier Reef and how it's depleting. I actually saw that the... Um, it's like at its record highest amount of coral in like 40 years or something like that. I mean, how does that happen if climate change is just getting worse and worse and all of our resources are being depleted? Yeah, I mean, in fact, I remember NBC News Today show would do like during Earth Week, they would go and film at the Barrier Reef. This is decades ago, just warning of all the danger. All the new science is showing it's resilient, it's gaining coverage, it's not dying as predicted. And this is true even of all these low-lying Pacific islands, the Maldives and Tuvalu, they're building airports, hotels. Uh, the most, what happens is when current reality fails to alarm in the climate, they make scarier and scarier predictions of the future. And it's all based on data models, which they try to claim as data, but it's just a prediction of tuned models that scientists you know, put in these inputs, which they believe mankind is driving a catastrophe. And of course, presto, they come out with scary scenarios. But just real quick, you mentioned the failed uh, predictions. 1995, New York Times predicted East Coast beaches, according to climate experts, East Coast beaches could be underwater. In uh, 1989, the UN said we had a 10-year tipping point by which to act. In 2007, Al Gore issued the same 10-year tipping point. In my book, Green Fraud, I go back to 1864 when Abraham Lincoln was president. I found an academic named George Marsh Perkins who actually warned that unless mankind changed their evil ways, we faced climatic excess. Abraham Lincoln was president when the first climate tipping point was issued. Wow. And you mentioned the population bomb. I think you said that that was written in the 1960s or 70s. And that really goes all the way back to Thomas Malthus. I think that was 18th century in the Malthusian catastrophe. And he theorized the same thing. Of course, I believe that was before the Industrial Revolution. So he couldn't even really see that actually human beings through innovation 
can create very efficient systems so that they are not just a drain on resources, but are actually creating more resources for human beings and making it better to live and survive and thrive on Earth. He really saw human beings only as detractors from the resources that we have and not contributors to them. And even though that has been debunked, obviously, just through time and history, we still see that reiterated today, not just in the 1960s and 70s, but that is a theme that we see at the World Economic Forum. That is a theme that we see among these global leaders, but that population is the problem. Warren Buffett is really kind of a Malthusian, paranoid guy. A lot of the people that are funding the Democratic Party and a lot of these climate change, quote unquote, solutions are really concerned that there are too many people. And that that concerns me that they're concerned with that. Yeah. In fact, Chuck Schumer just came out, I think it was last week or earlier this week and literally said, you know, that because Americans aren't reproducing, we have to welcome and legalize all these illegal immigrants because that's the only way our population. So I'm a little confused because suddenly they're now the only place they embrace more population is through illegal immigration. But you're exactly right. Al Gore was at a Bill Gates funded event and at a panel with Bill Gates 2014. And he actually said, Africa's projected to have more people than China and India combined by mid-century. And he went on to talk about the need for ubiquitous fertility management in Africa in order basically to keep the number of Africans down because it was going to be a problem of some sort. That was the implication. I mean, this is this is still at the heart of everything. The Malthusian idea, the idea is that if left to our own, this is in fact the heart of the Great Reset. If left to our own devices, meaning the masses, we're the unwashed masses, Allie, uh, if we're, they, we will create destruction of the earth, we will create a climate catastrophe, we'll create racism, we'll, we'll run out of resources, we'll just, we'll just create a mess. We need credentialed experts who studied this, who have decades of experience and PhDs to come in and manage not only our lives, but our society and every aspect of it. And then we can go along and live our little lives. In the words of the World Economic Forum, you'll own nothing, you'll be happy, you'll have no privacy, life will never be better, everything you want will be delivered by drone, the US will no longer be a superpower, meat will be a rare and expensive treat, et cetera, et cetera. That's their vision. And that's a vision that existed when Woodrow Wilson was president. They were trying, this is when it was introduced in the United States, the administrative state ruled by experts. And that, of course, has been the whole premise of essentially how to solve the the Malthus problem of resource scarcity. And it's also been the heart of the climate debate where we have to give up national autonomy. You have to give up individual freedom. You have to give up free markets in order for the government and experts to rule over and basically save the planet because we we will destroy it if left to our own devices. That's at the heart of this. And they actually believe they're doing good. It's important to mention that. The ideologues believe they're doing good. They believe they're saving us from ourselves. Then, of course, you add in the profiteers, the uh, the corporations and the and the greenwashers and the all the other hanger ons. And there's a lot of money to be made when, when you're when you're transferring. But that's a different thing. But there are people who actually genuinely believe uh, that they're doing the right thing here by taking away our freedom in order to manage us and save the planet, save public health, save us from viruses, save us from the climate, et cetera. Yes. And the perfect transition into the conversation about what the elites or what the World Economic Forum is doing now is, um, well, I want to talk about this climate change conference that happened over the past few days in November that happened in Egypt. And just to kind of piggyback on what you just said and to take us into the next part of this conversation, I want to play this clip 
from Klaus Schwab. He's the head of the World Economic Forum. And here he is talking about what, you know, I've been reliably told is just a conspiracy theory. And that is the great reset and the radical transformation of society. Here he is talking about that. What we have to confront is a deep, systemic and structural restructuring of our world. And this will take some time. And the world will look differently after we have gone through this transition process. All right. So there is a lot more that he said along, you know, in that vein. But I think we get the picture. He's talking about radically restructuring society, as you said, for the benefit of everyone. Can you translate that for us? What is he really talking about? He's talking about us essentially giving up individual national sovereignty and giving up individual freedoms and turning over rule to experts. In fact, at his meeting in Davos, he said he looked at everyone in the room and these are billionaires, millionaires, corporate heads, government bureaucrats, Hollywood celebrities, the royal family, Bill Gates. He looked at everyone and he said, we have in this room, we get to decide the future of the planet. I mean, that's the kind of maniacal James Bond villain attitude he actually has. So what's significant, though, about this G20 speech you just played, Ali, he is now being treated as a head of state. You have, let's see, you have Albania, you have France, you have the United States, Canada. Oh, oh, and you have the World Economic Forum. Oh, their president, uh, Klaus Schwab, is here, too. It's now a nation state. It's reached that level status at a G20 summit where he can go up there and talk about radical restructuring, systemic restructuring of the planet. And he gets literally the same VIP treatment. In fact, he had the same kind of local, I guess it was Indonesian garb on to match the other world leaders at this summit. And what's amazing about that is how did he get to this position of power? Well, in the book I go back, it's founded in 1971. And the key to the way the World Economic Forum is so powerful, they found a way for businesses, academics, and lobbyists and, and fundraisers to meet with politicians off the books, outside the purview of lobbying, regulators, any oversight. And they have these annual meetings and it's a free-for-all where you get corporations, government, celebrities, academia, all together, and they're, they're meeting, they're talking, they're, I hate to use the word conspiring, but they're planning. And this is how you end up with things like environment, social governance, ESG. This is how you get up, how you end up with all of these corporate mandates. And what ultimately comes out of this, and this is the simplest way of looking at it, the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, this whole agenda is to make it so we have no choice on some of the biggest questions of our lives. And just even down to the smallest. And here's a few examples. We didn't get to vote on whether gas-powered cars would be banned. That was done by executive order of California. Then the California Air Resources Board, uh, unelected bureaucrats, came up with a timetable by 2035 banning it. Then the Biden administration is now looking into executive orders and, and administrative state ways to ban the car. Then the World Bank announced that they're going to stop financing gas-powered cars at the automaker level. Then a big bank in Australia announced they're not going to give out car loans to people who want to buy gas-powered cars. So right there, there was no democracy. We never voted. This was corporate yeah. government collusion. This is bureaucrats. And the same thing goes on. We didn't vote for vaccine mandates. We didn't vote for lockdowns. We didn't vote to have churches closed. We didn't vote to have schools closed. We didn't vote for mask mandates. We didn't vote uh, for uh, banning of meat. But all of this is happening because at these meetings, like the World Economic Forum and the United Nations, they meet and they work with government corporate collusion to bypass democracy. And in a simple sentence, the Great Reset, 
is basically making the once free West copy the same model as one-party Chinese authoritarian rule. That is the Great Reset. They bypass democracy and impose stuff through this corporate government fascism. And we get, we get told what's happening. We don't get to vote on it. There's no hearings in Congress. There's no town halls. There's no switchboards lighting up for a big vote. None of it. We're just told the car is gone. Your meat eating's going. Yeah. We're creating we're creating energy shortages. You sorry, you need a vaccine to go into this place. Sorry, your schools are closed. Sorry, your churches are closed. What? Huh? How did that happen? The Great Reset. Let me tell y'all about one of my favorite companies ever, and that is Carly Jean Los Angeles. I am wearing their clothes almost every day. These are the only jeans that I will wear anymore because they are so comfortable. They're so flattering. They fit so well. They've got plenty of give while also keeping their shape. Also, I love their basics line because it's all made in the U.S. Best part about Carly Jean Los Angeles is that Carly Jean herself is a Christian. She's pro-life. They share the values that you and I do. It's a capsule clothing company that's based in LA and they just make great stuff. And you can feel really good knowing that your dollars are sent to a company that is supporting the same values that you do. If you go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com and use code AllieB, you get 20% off excluding final sale items. This is a great gift for yourself, a great gift for friends as well. And guys who listen to Relatable, I promise you that your wife would love something from Carly Jean Los Angeles. Go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com, promo code AllieB for 20% off, always free shipping, over $100. CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com, code AllieB. So you think, and I mean, you know, through your research, you talked about this at the beginning, the parallel between the conversation about COVID from these same people and the conversations about climate change, they're almost identical, that we have to transform society and kind of lock people down and really control people's behavior in order to save people. But as we saw in the lockdowns, that actually ended a lot of lives. I just saw a study that showed that one million cancer diagnoses went missed, estimated over the past couple of years because people were told to stay home because they were scared to go to the doctor. They didn't die from COVID, but they did end up dying from their cancer. And so we would see the same thing if they got their way when it comes to these climate lockdowns or the climate restrictions that they want to put in place. We're already seeing some, as you just said, about not financing you know, gas-powered cars. But if they really got everything that they wanted, if they got completely open borders, if they got no private property and no private ownership, and they really did just have, I don't even know if you could call it communism, feudalism, I guess, is more accurate. If they got all of that, if they completely defeated fossil fuels, I mean, we are talking about the deaths of billions of people probably, right? I mean, is that what they want, these kind of Malthusian people? Interesting way to put it. I think they're looking for essentially the current population to age and die off and then future populations control. Many of the people, and I interviewed Hans Schuldenhuber, the German climate advisor who's at all these United Nations climate summits. He's one of these people and many others who believe the carrying capacity of the earth is only about 1 billion people. Well, we have about almost 8 billion now. I think it's 7.9 billion. So they're talking about eventual elimination because the earth can't handle it. Species can't handle it. Trees can't handle it. Our natural ecosystems can't handle it. The distribution systems of food and medicine can't handle it. So they're ultimately trying to essentially, 
I guess the word would be manage the society. They're not necessarily talking about killing. They're not talking about killing people now, but they're talking about future generations really radically cutting back. Now, the interesting thing is, if left to their own devices of market forces, generally, like Al Gore was worried about African population being, you know, that were projected to be higher than China and India combined. Wealth and development is one of the the most proven ways to lower population. In fact, as a country gets wealthier, the number of kids that families have invariably drops. We've seen it happen all over the world over the past few centuries, and there's no reason to think that won't happen. What, what's weird about it is they wanna prevent that wealth under the name of somehow overpopulation fears from countries, and that's what's happening in Africa. It's a new form of colonialism that they're doing. They're telling them they can't make the same mistakes that we made here in the West with fossil fuels because they'll make the climate catastrophe worse. So Africa can't make the same mistakes of development, cheap fossil fuels, wealth, longer life expectancy, lower infant mortality, cleaner air, cleaner water, and better infrastructure. I mean, they can't make those mistakes. Instead, you have to have wealth, wealthy white Westerners go in and tell them how to manage their economy. And to make sure it happens, the UN sets up a climate slush fund that quite literally pays African and South American leaders who are best able to keep their people locked in poverty. In other words, the more poverty you have, the lower your emissions you are, the better steward of the climate you are. And that's what the UN, I've talked to development activists in South Africa about this. They literally pay the governments uh, and the leaders who are best able to keep their people locked in poverty. And then they give this money. And of course, these evil. leaders can then use it to ensure their own reelection. Evil. It's evil. And I mean, it's not only that that's happening there, but it's also that as we've talked about several times on this podcast, China, who is going into these poor nations in Africa and South America and trapping them in a debt trap by saying, hey, Ethiopia, we will build your railway and just go into debt. You can pay us back later, knowing that Ethiopia can never pay them back or one of these poor countries yeah. in Africa can never pay them back. And so they are basically under the rule in some ways of China. Now, that China is like an interesting component in all of this to me, because obviously they are one of the worst offenders when it comes to pollution and when it comes to a lot of the things that the people at the WEF say are bad development, uh, manufacturing, and yet they don't get the same chastisement as, say, the United States does. And they don't get chastised at all for basically colonizing Africa and South America. Why is that? If we really care so much about the climate that they're willing to go to African countries and lock people in poverty eternally for the sake of the environment, why does China get a free pass? Well, first of all, there's two components. This China has, first of all, been admired by many in the West for decades. So in the book, I go back decades and show the New York Times, Tom Friedman praising China's one-party rule. You have the UN climate chief, Christina Figueres, praising the centralized you know, rule of China and how they can get things done. You have Justin Trudeau saying he has basic admiration for China's dictatorship. You have Obama administration officials. So what happened with COVID lockdowns and what happened with, with trying to do with the Great Reset is, again, turn the once free West into one-party Chinese rule, Communist Party rule. So the other thing that's happened is China is unbelievable spending machine. They've essentially owned the NBA. They're buying up Hollywood. We saw the actor John Cena that time. He made mention of Taiwan and he had to do apology where he said, I'm sorry, like 27 times in like a two minute video. 
there's a reason for that. And there's a reason environment social governance, which looks at your score with how you treat transgender, how you treat uh, uh, you know, climate and energy and how you clean, how you treat, you know, critical race theory and you get your ESG score. There's a reason that's never applied to China because it would be dead in the water if it was. China's given a pass on all of this because China's funding politicians' campaigns, China's funding Hollywood, China's funding sporting events, China's funding all this. And they know and they're also making everything. Remember, back in the 1990s, we were told with these free trade deals, which turned out, in my view, to be a disaster. That if we can, if we can do more trade with China, and uh, and and they can get wealthy, they'll become more like us because they'll lose their dictatorship and they'll become a free place and free markets. Yeah. The opposite yeah. happened, Ali. We yeah. they, they gutted our industrial base, and then we're becoming that was a Reagan more like idea. China. What's it? Yeah. Unfortunately, it, it, I mean, it did. It showed that it worked in previous places like in in, uh, in Soviet and Eastern Bloc and yeah. other countries. But when it came to China, I think there was a different cultural history of China that it was never going to happen. So they, had, they gutted our industrial base and what happens now we're beholden to China and we're becoming like them, copying the Chinese social credit system, copying the one party rule under emergency decree. And that's basically how they're gonna achieve Chinese one party rule is that emergency decree. You declare an emergency, bypass democracy. We're still living under the 9-11 terrorism emergency decree. We're still living under the COVID emergency decree. They just tried to have a vote. And Chuck Schumer accidentally voted against, you know, uh, cancel, uh, voted against extending it. Uh, but Biden is still ruling over this uh, with, a, with emergency decree of COVID. So, but the, but the reason China makes no sense is they talk about electric cars. You know, they are, the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkins on CNN being interviewed, and they're asking them like, oh, well, shouldn't we you know, go green and be energy independent? I'm sorry, going green means relying on China for 90% of our solar panels, relying on China for lithium, cobalt, for mining in Africa with underage kids, for more dependence on China and making China wealthier and more strategically and national security dominant over us. The whole green agenda makes no sense in that regard because all it's doing is farming out our emissions to China, and uh, instead we're set, set with the spectacle of uh, Joe Biden begging OPEC and Venezuela and and, uh, and and other nations for more energy instead of domestic energy. Yep, it makes us less independent ourselves, and then obviously it's even a national security threat, which is why I think a lot of the climate change propaganda actually comes from places like China because it benefits them so much. It also benefits places like Russia, by the way. Um, for kind of the same reasons. I want to hear more about this conference in Egypt that happened from November 6th to November 18th. Uh, What else happened there? I'm sure that you were watching, paying attention to what was being said. Was there anything that stood out that you were like, oh, wow, people need to know about that they're talking about? I've been going to the conference since 2002. And what's changed over the last two decades is this corporatization of these conferences. So the biggest thing and the most totalitarian aspect of this UN climate summit in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, which I've redubbed Sharm el-Shakedown because they're asking for climate reparations and more money. Al Gore wants to spend $4 trillion annually 
on to fight global warming. Joe Biden shows up bragging about his $370 billion Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, Biden showed up with pennies on the dollar. They've already moved well beyond that, which just goes to show you all this, you know, oh, we need to do this to solve climate change. Oh, really? Well, what's your criteria to solve it? And when will this end? And when will it be solved? Never, never, never. Keep giving more and more and more. So Biden thought 270, $370 billion was a lot. Al Gore is talking about $4 trillion annually. But the most totalitarian aspect was Al Gore partnering up with Google to announce the Climate Trace app that is going to be immediately set up to trace, I think, 70 to 80,000 individual CO2 emitters globally, farms, energy plants, businesses. And the stated goal is to help enforce United Nations climate goals, net zero. This is really Big Al is going to be watching us with Google. And they're going to be, and keep in mind, humans inhale oxygen, we exhale carbon dioxide. So it's not very far-fetched. They're coming for the SUV in your driveway, your, uh, your gas heater, your breath, who knows where this is gonna end up. But this is modeled after COVID track and trace apps. Remember how great those worked in Australia? You'd go to a grocery store, but if you were in 10 feet of someone who may have tested positive the next day, suddenly police show up at your door and you're in a quarantine camp for 10 to 12 days against your will. This is Chinese social credit system from this conference, Google uniting with Al Gore. Other news out of this was John Kerry at a World Economic Forum event literally announcing that we're gonna use the same template we did in COVID to fight climate change. And on top of that, the World Health Organization was there basically trying to declare uh, climate the new public health threat. And they're basically saying, and this is a whole new thing, Harvard School of Medicine, 230 medical journals, unchecked climate change will lead to more COVIDs. So now, if you don't support the climate agenda, the Green New Deal, you're a grandma killer because you're creating more viruses. So that happened. They also did, all the youth delegations showed up, kids in their 20s bemoaning capitalism. I went to an event with kids in elementary school who actually stated, why are we here at this conference? We should be at the playground enjoying the swing set. And of course, they really should be at the playground enjoying the swing set, not at a UN conference. That happened. And then the other big news item was Mount Sinai, which is about two hours from the conference in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, was home to the smashing of Climate 10 Commandments and also a Climate Repentance Day earlier this week. This is what passes for United Nations Climate Summit. And this is, like Michael Crichton said, this is the new urban religion among, uh, uh, the new religion among urban atheists is climate and environment. Yeah. And you know what? That's something that I was going to say is you're talking about how they view human beings. Human beings are trackable. We are either just yes. vectors of a virus or just emitters of CO2. Yes. We are dirty. We are a drain on the resources. They don't seem to see themselves like that. Obviously, they're still around. They're still alive. They don't care enough about the environment in their own lives. That's not what I want them to do. But I mean, they think that you and I and everyone else is so worthless that I guess we need to be depopulated, but that they, I guess, are a part of some kind of chosen race. It really is their theology. And it is a very, I don't know what your faith is, but this is a Christian podcast. It is a very anti-Christian way to think about human beings. We believe that human beings are made in the image of God. doesn't matter how productive you are. It doesn't matter how attractive you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. Everyone, because they have a soul and because they were created by God, has not only value, but also has rights, inherent rights as an individual. That, of course, is the idea that lay the groundwork for the greatest nation in the world, the United States. And so 
I think that is really why they hate the U.S. It's because of its founding ideas and ideals. I think that's what set us apart. That is what makes us an enemy of totalitarianism, or should anyway. Um, and it just strikes me how atheistic and how nihilistic these people's worldview is. Even if they think that they are helping, they might not even realize that their assumptions about how the world works and what morality is and what human beings are are so profoundly godless. Um, and it just it's really confounding to me how there are people in the West, people in the United States, even Christians who are duped by this. It is a religious ideology that is anti-Christian, anti-biblical, and it's going to have it some is. really bad consequences. It is. In fact, you know, this. there was a whole... Uh, several panels on this you know, Mount Sinai event that they did. The Climate Repentance Day was essentially mimicking traditional religion by essentially you go up and you apologize for your sins against the earth. That could be anything from eating meat to driving an SUV to turning your thermostat too warm, as we're finding out as being a criminal penalty now in parts of Europe. So this really is a, it's a it's a new form of it's a new form of religion. They're replacing a sort of an earth worship, and it's being administered by these international bodies, by like the United Nations. It's frightening stuff. This has been around for decades. This aspect, but it does seem this was a very prominent role here uh, at this conference. This whole idea of the Mount Sinai and the smashing of the tablets, and this was covered by the mainstream here. media. Everyone just everyone just thought it was a clever little oh what a great way to get attention. But this, as you mentioned, it's much deeper. It's much, much deeper than that. The conference also featured 400 private jets, uh, which is really their new religion, and also massive amounts of high-end gourmet meats with chefs flown in, and this, was, and this was all offered. At the same time, the United Nations had reports calling for the end of meat eating, for fake meat, for lab-grown meat that you grow in a lab, and for insect eating. And at the that's what they want us, the unwashed masses, to eat, but they themselves them. were dining yeah. Yeah, you can go to Climate Depot. I have a whole report on that, on, uh, on, on the lavish menus that were available for the VIPs who flew in on their private jets. Okay, you only have a few days left to take advantage of this Good Ranchers Black Friday deal, where with your order, you get two free 12-ounce Black Angus New York strips, you get two free pasture-raised chicken breasts, and then an awesome deal, if you subscribe, you get that box of American meat to your front door every month, you lock in your price for all of 2023. Inflation is out of control. It's affecting meat prices like incredibly. So if you want to save money, if you want to make sure that your meat purchases are not affected by inflation, you should just subscribe to Good Ranchers. It'll show up on your front door, on your front porch every month. Uh, it'll be on dry ice, frozen, stick it in the freezer. You're good to go. We love Good Ranchers at our house. We love that it's all American made. Plus, this is just an amazing deal with the two free 12 ounce black Angus New York strips, plus two free pasture raised chicken breasts, and you lock in that price. When you go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, use code Allie at checkout. Goodranchers.com slash Allie, code Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's American meat delivered. So, Mark, there are so many other things that I would like to talk to you about. Gosh, I could talk to you for another hour about this craziness, but I have to I have to end on somewhat of a hopeful note, because I got to say, whenever I talk about this stuff, 
especially Great Reset, which we're not supposed to even say. It just makes me feel very powerless. I mean, as you said, they're doing a lot of this stuff undemocratically, while, by the way, saying that the people who want borders and who like the Constitution are the fascists who are anti-democracy. Really, they are the ones that are pushing corporate fascism, but we know that. But it makes me just feel really hopeless about can this country change for the better? What direction are we going to go in? What power do you and I have to change anything to push back on them? Well, there's a few concrete things we can do. For, I don't, then I'll give you the really hopeful message. But the first thing we have to do is reform emergency powers, because the, in the United States in particular, the way this Great Reset agenda was advanced, what, and, and then sadly, it was Donald Trump who signed this emergency declaration. I think it was March 13th. And then it was Donald Trump who did the 10 days to slow the spread. Those two things together basically brought the Great Reset to America. And what happened was, you now, as I mentioned, Biden is still under emergency powers as president. All these governors, mayors are still under it. There's really no criteria. In some places like Pennsylvania, they had to wrestle back. So we need emergency power reform. You have to have specific criteria, expiring time limits, and you have to have people able to vote on it because that's the way they were able to do everything without a vote. Close schools, churches, businesses, mask mandates, vax mandates, stay-at-home orders, curfews, etc. That's point number one. Point number two is you have to resist at every level. So my last chapter is about the great reject, the great resist. And here's what's funny, Ali. The lowest level of politics had the most success in fighting back against all of this. The local school board level, which is traditionally your first entry level of politics, was where the anger of the parents upset about a combination of the COVID theater masking and social distancing along with critical race theory and along with the transgender ideology. Those parents willing to be called domestic terrorists by the Justice Department, willing to get arrested in some cases, they turned the election in Virginia. We toppled the Democrat party machine of Terry McAuliffe, which then triggered terror among the national Democrats, which then led directly to focus groups and according to the New York Times, the toppling of mask and vaccine mandates in every major liberal city from San Francisco, LA, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, New York, all because of angry school board parents churning elections, not just in Virginia, but in New Jersey and other places and at the local level. That's the kind of power we have to fight back. Resistance, resist mass mandates, resist vax mandates, resist social distancing, resist lockdowns, defy it all. And there's no democracy was involved. And it wasn't an ounce of democracy involved. I don't think there's any vote in America where people said we won a vaccine mandate. I don't remember anyone actually voting on it, maybe recently in some liberal areas, but certainly not in the first year of COVID. So that's what we have to do. And there's a lot of hope as long as we resist. I feature the words of Vaclav Klaus, the former Czech president who grew up under communism, Czech Republic president. And he said, you know, it wasn't called social distancing when he was in the Soviet, when he was under Soviet domination, but it was the same thing. They didn't want you to meet, congregate, plan, Government authorities didn't like it. And that's really what they did to us with COVID. That, of course, led to the Black Lives Riot because you had everyone locked down and it was pent up frustration. They, they created all this, as you mentioned, they created the health problems, suicide, depression, delayed you know, medical treatments, the, the development problems with kids and mass. The World Health Organ World um, UN has the world, uh, the world, the UN's organization, global organization has talked about up to 40 million people going starving now in the developing world, all because of the supply chains caused by lockdowns. The death yeah. keeps coming. It's very clear that we need to fight that. And I think anger, resistance, 
and changing the narrative. When we really need a Republican Party to come on, I'm disappointed in our National Republican Party leadership for being relatively silent on vax mandates and mask mandates and uh, and all the COVID lockdowns. They just sort of went along with it. That's why it's not that exciting they're taking over the Congress. <laughs> I know. There's a few good ones in there. You there know, are, Thomas, Massey, <laughs> Thomas Massey has been one of them, but you're yeah. absolutely right. The majority of them just really haven't said anything about it. There really have only been a few governors, um, even Republican governors who have. So I agree yeah. with you. That is disappointing. Another thing that they're obviously trying to do is to drive us into isolation and to depend yeah. less on each other and more on the government. Of course, that has been kind of yeah. a left wing movement for a long time but especially from these global leaders. And we on a daily basis can resist that. I mean, we have grown in isolation and loneliness as a country over the past several decades, but they don't want you to depend on your family. They don't want you to have a family. They don't want yeah. you to depend on your church and on your community for the They want to close your church. That was the first thing they closed. They left tobacco and abortion shops open and anything that made money, they left open. Churches were closed immediately during COVID. Right. They don't want that. And so we do have an active role to play in kind of resisting that. Isolated people are much more vulnerable, too. Yes. Um, and so that is one role that we can play. And also understanding that at the end of the day, God is good and he is in control and he is bigger than Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. Yes. And I have to remember that, too. Uh, where can people where can people find you? Where can they find your book and your website and all that good stuff? Well, I'm at climatedepot.com, and I'm on Twitter at Climate Depot as well. The book is The Great Reset, and it's, it just came out in um, August, and I tried to make the book fun. It's not a boring policy wonk book. It opens with a quote from The Twilight Zone. It goes through George Carlin jokes, Bill Maher. I have a whole chapter devoted to the new politics. It's not left, right. It's freedom versus tyranny. I welcome with open arms people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the feminist Naomi Wolf, who used to work for Clinton Gore, people like Russell Brand, who was a Hollywood socialist. They've all come around, and they're actively fighting the forces of the Great Reset and this massive transfer of power and wealth to the top. Uh, from the middle class, and the and 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 that's really what we're facing here. It's a it's a whole new political realignment. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate the work that you do, and I do encourage everyone to go out and get your book and to check out your website and all that thank good you. stuff. And thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Well, thank you very much, Ali. Appreciate it. <laughs>